Good afternoon, super good, good Friday to everyone. Thank you guys for being here in person. I'm sure people will be trickling in the next couple of minutes as well. And welcome to everyone who's watching online, live stream today, or even watching afterwards. Just wanted to give you a couple quick announcements about today's service. Um, one is that we're going to remember the Lord in communion uh, about halfway through the message, which might seem odd. So it might be good if you don't have your elements prepared yet to go ahead and get those uh, uh, done right away so you're ready in the middle of the message, okay? Other than that, really, this is just a chance for us to remember what the Lord's done for us, to, uh, to draw near to Him, uh, to obey Him in picking up our cross and falling after Him. So I'm going to open in prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you so much that you love us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would receive this worship as love back to you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make yourself known through all that happens here. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 7 to 12. So I'm going to read that, or 7 to 11, sorry. So I'm going to read that, and then we'll get started. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And Father, we pray that as we uh, get into this section of Scripture, Lord, that we would remember the potency of the work of your Son on the cross. And that, Lord, our hearts would be moved and motivated to follow after him, to be willing to even suffer with him, that we might know him more. Lord, please open our eyes to the truth of this. Give us a heart to desire this. Show us Jesus afresh, we pray in his name. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation, a difficult situation, when you may be sharing with a friend and you're saying, man, I'm going through this or I'm challenged by that, and, and you're thinking, this is, really, this is really tough, and you're sharing your burden with your friend, and your friend looks at you and they say, I can relate to that. Have you had that situation? Maybe you've been the person who said, hey, I can relate to that. Isn't that interesting language? It's interesting language that we would say when someone is suffering, I can relate. We kind of know intrinsically, don't we, that suffering and closeness of relationship do, put, do kind of go together. This is one of the reasons why I think men love war movies. We love war movies because there's something about seeing soldiers going through something together that makes us feel like, yes, I get that. I relate to that. When I go through something tough and I got a brother near me, man, this is when I really feel that closeness. I can say, and I'm sure my wife Sarah would agree with me on this, that after 30 years of marriage, that we, the things that we remember, yes, loads of joyful, joyful things, but the things that have brought us close were the tough things, going through the tough things together. 
And really this section that Paul's writing here, he's, he's writing this whole letter to the churches in Philippi from prison. And what's interesting about that is that you wouldn't necessarily guess that from the tone of the letter. If you were to read all of Philippians, there's a lot of joy in this letter. Paul even rejoices about stuff that we wouldn't think you'd want to rejoice over. But there's joy in this letter because Paul is recognizing that there's something bigger going on than just his present sufferings. God's doing something in his life and through his life with these sufferings. And so we want to talk a little bit about that today. We want to talk about today, think about this for our Good Friday meditation. We want to talk about knowing Jesus through his sufferings. And so I want to start off by just pointing out in verse 7, really verses 7 through 9, a couple things that are really important for us to see before we talk about how suffering with Jesus actually causes us to be closer to him. In verse 7, Paul's really clear, in verse 7 and 8 specifically, Paul's really clear that he's, he's been willing to, to, to count what used to be gain as loss. In fact, when he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss, he uses this word count or counted three times in verses 7 and 8. He's using these kind of accounting terms to, to kind of explain his conversion, what happened. Now, now, you have to understand that Paul's desire here, when he says uh, that his, he's, he's counting these things lost for the sake of Christ, later on he'll say that he may gain Christ. The idea here is that Paul's not just looking for another religious experience. Paul, before he came to know Jesus personally, was, you remember, Saul. He was someone who, who, who was actually zealous for God, the God of Israel, so much so that he was persecuting Christians because he felt like they weren't worshiping the God of Israel. And what happens? Does he have this tinge of conscience like, oh no, I'm being a bad person and I should change? No, not so much. But what happens is, is that Jesus himself interrupts Paul's life. Listen to this. In Acts chapter 9, this is what we read. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. This is so important to understand the whole context of what Paul talks about in these verses. That Paul was someone who didn't just kind of decide, you know what, theologically I think I'm now drifting to Christianity. That's not what was going on. Paul thought he was worshiping God. He thought that his religion was gaining him a place with God. And when he actually met God or when God interrupted his life, he realized, oh man, all that stuff, rubbish. He tossed it aside. He recognized that using this kind of language of an accountant, profit and loss, gain and loss, he realized that all these things I thought were assets, and he, and he talks about these things in, in verses 5 and 6. If you want to just bump up the verse 5 and 6 in chapter 3, he says he's talking about his confidence that he's tempted to have in his own flesh, in his own natural person. He says he's been circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As, a, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, I, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, Paul's saying, I was the guy, man. I was the man. I was the one who was so zealous for the God of Israel, I was persecuting Christians. I was so committed to God's law, no one could point to one area where I had broken God's law. 
There was no outward error in my life. That's pretty heavy. And these things, before he knows Christ, he says, these things, man, these were my assets. I'm a good person, Paul would have said. And yet now he says, I count them as lost. <coughs> They're liabilities. They actually hold me back. No, Paul, his desire was not just for another religious experience. He'd had a, he had more religious experiences, guys, than you and I could put together. He had more religious discipline than all of us combined. No, Paul wanted something else. Paul wanted someone else. Paul wanted Christ. And so he says, I put all that stuff aside. He goes on to say in verse 9, he says, listen, and being found in him, that he might be found in him, he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Now, Paul's being super clear here, isn't he? I, he wants a righteousness. Now, let's make sure we understand what righteousness means here. It's a, it's a kind of a, a big word that we don't use that much uh, in our normal everyday chat. But what it basically means is I... He, he, it really refers to a right relationship with God, knowing that you are right with God, that between you and your creator, everything's cool. There's peace. There, there, there's no, God has no wrath upon you. You're right in his sight. That's what he means by righteousness. And Paul's really clear here, isn't he, that he does not want a righteousness of his own. He doesn't want something that he can earn through obedience. Why? Because he knows he can't. When he met Jesus, he, was, he understood. His eyes were opened. He cannot earn a relationship with God. His obedience is never going to be enough. Now, this is harder for us than maybe we want to admit. We want to think, man, maybe if I, but, okay, I, I know I don't deserve an, a relationship with God. I haven't been good enough, but maybe if I try a little harder. That person seems to try really hard. Maybe if I try as hard as they, they do, then maybe then I'll earn a relationship with God. And Paul's saying, listen, if anybody could have that confidence, it was me. And I'm telling you, no one can have that confidence. I don't even want that. See, see, Paul's righteousness, he recognized, was from Christ himself. That's why he says, notice, not a righteousness of my own uh, that comes through the law, but that which, verse 9, comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God, notice, that depends on faith. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, that I, he didn't want a righteousness. He couldn't have a righteousness that was dependent upon his obedience. He had to have one that was received by faith, received as a free gift. God saying, you're right with me. God saying, we have peace. There's no war between us anymore. Why? Because Christ died for that. See, it's called Good Friday, not because of what, what Jesus went through was good for him, but because it was good for us. Christ died for us. Christ died not just to give us a second chance, but a third and a fourth and a fiftieth. <laughs> Daily, 70 times 7, he said. We are to forgive others. Why? Because 70 times 7, he forgives us daily. A righteousness. He gives us his position. We're going to talk more about that position of righteousness on Sunday, Easter Sunday. So make sure you tune in for that or show up. Now, now the, the, the thing that's important for us to see here is that, that, that 
what we're receiving by faith, what Paul's talking about, uh, depending on the Lord by faith, or depends on faith, is we're believing that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to make us right with God. We're believing that. That no amount of religious effort, no amount of good deeds, no amount of personal suffering, none of those things puts us in a right relationship with God. This is what we're called to believe. What, what did Jesus say on the cross, right? While he's on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He chose to die at that point. It is finished. What was finished? Well, you guys have probably heard this before. That, that can't be translated, it's paid in full. The debt's covered. What debt? The debt you and I owe to God for our sin. The wages of our sin should bring death. Jesus died that death in our place. This is the good news. This is why we call it Good Friday. Now, I have much more to say, but before we get into the last section here, last couple of verses, I want to make sure that before we go any further, we take the time to remember the Lord and what he's done for us. It's tempting for us, especially you'll be tempted at the end of this message to think of all that you need to do for God, but that would make, mean you'd miss the whole point of the message. It's a good Friday because of what's been done for our good. So stay in, in, in Philippians, but I want you to think back to the Gospels. <laughs> I want you to think about when Jesus is instituting this last supper, the communion that we take. And he says to his disciples, all Jewish men, all who understood Passover, he says this, he takes, he takes the bread first, he says, breaks and says, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. He's saying that those disciples whom he chose to follow him, who, to whom he said, if you love me, keep my commandments, he's saying to them as well as to us, I need to be broken for you. That's what he's saying. Then he takes the cup, right? He takes the cup. That crushed grape. And he says, this is the blood, my blood, of the new covenant. And he makes it really clear to these Jewish men who understood that they were already in a covenant relationship with God. He's saying, listen, this is the new covenant that was predicted in the old. That God's going to set up a new and living way for you to be in covenant relationship with him. He's saying it's through my blood. So what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, when he says he wants to be found in him, that's found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but instead that which comes through faith in Christ. He's saying, I, I, I want to be, I want to hold on to, I, my whole desire in my whole life is based on this idea that I am holding fast that what Jesus did for me was enough. That his broken body and his spilled blood is enough. I cannot add to it. And this is what Jesus calls us 
to remember. This bit of unleavened bread representing his sinless body for us. This bit of crushed grape representing the wrath of God poured out for us. Lord Jesus, we do this now, remembering you. Let's partake together. And everyone who believes Christ is enough says, Amen. Amen. It's so important that we remember that. Not just on Good Friday. Not even just on Sunday when we have communion together. It's so important for us to remember that we're found in Christ. It's so important that that we... Allow the Holy Spirit, cooperate with the Holy Spirit to form in us what he formed in Paul, a desire for Christ himself. A clinging for righteousness to Christ himself. If we don't do that, then what Paul goes on to say in verses 10 and 11 and what Christ calls us to do in response to who he is and what he's done doesn't really make sense. In fact, it it becomes impossible for us. Because Paul goes on to say that, that connected to his desire for Christ himself, connected to his absolute faith in Christ himself for righteousness, he goes on to talk about his desire to suffer. He says in verse 10, he says he's doing this that I may know him. Paul says, I want to know Christ, my desires for him, and the power of his resurrection, which you have to wait till Sunday before we talk about. In fact, I I should say, really, the the disconnecting the the cross from the resurrection is really not not the most important thing to do. It's really not the most genuine thing to do, because in Scripture, they're never disconnected. But we want to sort of take each of these parts that that Paul's talking about here in verses 10 and 11. And we want to look at them uniquely so that we can see, we want to kind of pull them apart so we can see how they fit together. Paul says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, listen, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
Now, we, we saw really clearly, didn't we, in the verses before, Paul's super clear that the faith that brings a right relationship with God depends on God alone, depends on Christ alone. Right? That's the only way we can be in right relationship with God. So what is he talking about here when he says that he wants to share in his sufferings? We know it can't be, I want to suffer with him so that I can be saved. That salvation is going to come through Christ plus my sufferings. We know he can't mean that because that would contradict what he just said. So what, what I think the clue is in what he says in the beginning of verse 10, that I may know him. What, Christ what, what Paul desires from Christ is more than just a position. More than just even the power of the resurrection, which again we'll talk about on Sunday. What, what, what Paul desires from Christ is real relationship. He really wants to know his Savior. And as we mentioned in the, in the introduction, some of the ways that we grow relationship is through suffering together. Now, we, we already mentioned Paul's suffering as he writes this, isn't he? He's in prison for the sake of the gospel. In fact, at this point, he's not even sure he's going to get out of prison. But it's important that we see that this is, this is part of life. It's a, it's a normal part of life to suffer as Jesus followers. Paul said earlier in Philippians chapter 1, he says, let your, your, the manner of your life, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he goes on to say, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's, it's normal Christianity to, to, in following Jesus, expect to suffer in some ways for him. That's normal. It's interesting because it's not going to be on the screen, but you can look it up later. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes, Why do you marvel, uh, you know, dear saints, that, that you're going through such fiery trials as if some strange thing is happening to you? The whole book of 1 Peter, the whole letter of 1 Peter is about Christians are going to suffer in every area of life. Paul's saying, I want this. I want to experience this. Why? Is he some sort of a masochist? Does he, does, he, does he sort of like, yes, I want to feel pain? I, I don't think that's what this is. No, Paul says, <clears throat> I, I want to be made like Jesus as I suffer with Jesus. Remember the same Paul who wrote this, wrote in Romans chapter 8, uh, that, that our destiny is, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is why God saves us. He saves us to make us like Jesus so that we can enjoy Jesus forever. This is what he does. And Paul's saying, I want to be like Jesus, and if I'm going to follow Jesus, that means following him into his sufferings. Have, have any of you guys read any one of the Gospels all the way through? Raise your hand at home. I, I can see it from here. No, I'm just kidding, I can't. <laughs> yes, we've, each one of us here has read at least one of the Gospels all the way through. Did you notice the times when Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you? Or blessed are you when they persecute you for my namesake, these kinds of things? Or, you know, a, a servant is not greater than his master. If they did this to me, they're going to do this to you. He told people who he called to follow him, guess what? I'm suffering because the Father has a good purpose for me. And if you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer as well. It's part of it. Paul is not just going, man, 
all right. He's going, I want this. If this will make me like Jesus, I want this. If this will bring me closer to Jesus, I want this. Now, I want to take a bit of time just to kind of think about how we live this out. As people who hopefully, if you're here, you guys that are here with uh, us uh, this afternoon and those here watching online, I'm I'm assuming you're watching this. A Good Friday service isn't kind of the, the kind of service that most kind of unchurched people go to. Maybe you're not church and you're checking this out and man, good on you for checking out a Good Friday service because not a whole lot of people tend to do that. But I'm guessing that most of those who are watching this or you guys who are here now, that we are those who know, man, I know that I can only be saved because of Jesus. I can only be right with the Father because of Jesus. You took communion, you remembered the Lord and said, thank you God, this is where I stand. Now, knowing that, I I, want to encourage you here. How do we walk then in this? How do we, we, like Paul, say, okay, I want to suffer with you, Jesus, because I want to know you and I may like you, but I don't want this to be added to my salvation. or I don't want it to be Jesus plus my suffering. How, How do I keep that from happening? What does it look like to suffer with Christ to know him? How do we know when we're drawing near to Jesus in our suffering and when we're not? Three ways. The first is this. We draw near as we lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. Now, this is one of those verses that sounds like kind of a pastor verse. Yes, I'm called to ministry. I'm called to lay down my life for the gospel. But it's not a pastor verse. It's a disciple verse, isn't it? It's for all of us, right? Jesus says in Mark 8, 36, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Listen, if you've stepped forward at all, and I know some of you guys have done this because we've had conversations about this. You've stepped forth maybe at work or with a neighbor and you try to bring Jesus in the conversation and you've seen the look. (laughs) They think you're nuts. Because you're wanting to talk about Jesus. And that is a small bit of suffering. That feeling of, oh, I'm on the outside. I don't belong here completely. That's part of the suffering. Now, Now, sometimes we feel like we're on the outside, not because we're representing Jesus, but just because we feel like we're on the outside. And that's hard, and that's difficult. And, you know, I want you to know God has compassion on you when you feel that way, and he wants to bring you in. It's the kind of God that we serve. But that's not suffering for Jesus. We're suffering for Christ, and, we, and we draw near, we're drawing near to Christ when we are willing to go, okay, this is going to make me look stupid. This is going to feel weird, but I need to walk with Jesus in such a way and to talk about Jesus in such a way that it's obvious that he's my life and I'm willing to lay, lay down my life for him. I want his good news to be known. This is normal Christianity. I was going to drum up some statistics. Not, I shouldn't say drum up. I was going to find some statistics. I was going to make up some statistics. You know, 23% of all statistics are made up on the spot. I just made that up on the spot in case you didn't get that. I was going to find some statistics about churchgoers who actually share their faith. But they're so depressing. 
But, uh, but I remember years ago uh, when, when I was doing youth ministry and looking into this, and it was, it was by far the vast majority, it was something like 75% of, of young people who profess faith in Jesus didn't share Jesus with somebody else, had never shared Jesus with anybody else. And often if you, if you corner people and you say to them, why when was the last time you shared Jesus? Why haven't you? You say, oh, there's not really an opportunity. It's not really this. It just hasn't come up. But often it's because, really, we don't want to feel stupid. This is not meant to be a guilt trip. We all want Jesus, right? We believe we're here because we just took communion to remember we are right with God only because of Jesus, Right? But if we want Jesus and we believe that we're already made right with God through Jesus, let's share Jesus. Let's lay down our lives for his sake and the gospel. You know, I have to say, there's been, I can, I can tell many, many, many stories when, because uh, I tend to be a bit of a cynic, I tend to be a bit of a doubter. I struggle with my faith quite a bit. I have to wrestle through. I have a journal that's private because if you were all read that journal, you'd be like, I ain't going to that church anymore. I wrestle with deep things. But here's, you know what I found? I found this to be true. Even in wrestling with deep things, when I share with somebody what I know to be true, you know what happens? I believe it more. There's something about me sharing what I know about Jesus that makes me realize, oh, Lord, I want you more. I do believe you're alive. I do believe that what you've done is enough. I do believe your grace is sufficient. It's when I share that, even when people go, you're a weirdo. Or here's what I get a lot of time here in the 17 years I've lived in England. Where are you from? I'm from California. Why did you move here? It's a great open door for the gospel. Well, this might sound weird, but actually, I think God called me here. Why? To tell you about Jesus. Bye. <laughs> no, sometimes they talk. But I'll tell you what, when I do get a chance to share who Jesus is and what he's done, I go, yes, Lord, you are that good. I draw near to him. Especially when people treat me badly. And I think, man, all I'm trying to do is love you with the best news I've ever heard. And you think I'm crazy. Here's another way. We draw near... Uh, to Jesus through suffering as we surrender to the Father's will. Remember Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke chapter 22, right? Jesus prays, actually three times we read, he prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, when it comes to your present suffering, especially the things you're going through right now that you're going, I don't see what this has to do with me and Jesus. I really don't see. I don't know if this is chastening. I don't know if God's trying to punish me or trying to correct me. I don't know if it's just life is just a drag sometimes. I don't know why I'm going through this present suffering, especially if you're in this place, okay? This is not me saying to you, it's good for you to be miserable. It is me saying to you, this is a, a place for you to do like Jesus, get on your face and say, God, is this your will? 
Am I supposed to be in this, or do you want me to pray to get out of it? And if I'm supposed to be in this, Lord, I need you to give me the strength to stay in this because what, what I want isn't what's best. It's what you want that's best. See, one of the great things about the, our suffering that God promises us who are Jesus followers, he says, it's, it's just so, I quote this verse all the time. I know you guys probably think it's cliche and you get sick of it, but it's so important that, that, that when Paul says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love, call, love God and are called according to his purposes. He doesn't say that all your suffering works for your good. He says all of our suffering works for our good. And when we surrender to God and say, God, if this is why I have to suffer, if, I, if it, all it is is you saying, just stay put, just believe that I'm working something good out, I have to say, okay, Lord, not my will, but your be done, yours be done. My will is I want out of the suffering, but your will is somehow to use the suffering to bless other people, to help other people come to believe in you. Let it be done, Lord, because in that I draw near to you. So we draw near through suffering as we lay down our lives for the gospel. We draw near through suffering as we surrender to the Father's will. And lastly, we draw near as we forgive like he forgives. Now, I probably could have put other things on this list, but these seem to be the things that I think we struggle with most. Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, he's probably speaking directly to the soldiers who are crucifying him. That's probably who he's referring to most directly. But his heart is for us, everyone, anyone. His heart is to forgive us, to put away the sins that are between us and the Father. We just saw that. Didn't we see this earlier? Isn't this what Paul is, is, is building his life on? that he wants Christ himself. His righteousness is Christ himself, right? It's built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness, as we've seen before. He wants to forgive us. Listen, he calls us to forgive the same way. I see this is the thing that's so important. I think the biggest need for those who, for, for, for churches, for those who call themselves Jesus followers, the biggest need we have is to forgive each other. Do you know why I say that? Because we hurt each other a lot. We do. We, we, we hurt each other by, not so much, I think, there's not so much. I'm thankful to say, in my experience as a pastor, I haven't seen many people who are intentionally nasty. And if they are, it's exposed. And often, if they're called to repent, they refuse. And it's, sometimes it's pretty clear they're not really Jesus followers. And we, of course, have heard in recent days of uh, church leaders and religious leaders who have been guilty of the most heinous crimes. And there's no excuse for that. And I'm not saying that they're Christians. And I'm definitely not saying in a blase way, forgive them, it's no big deal. I'm talking more about that day-to-day, week-on-week neglect of one another. The lack of compassion that, that we should really have for each other. The way we judge each other and don't bear with each other. The way we, as Paul puts it, I think it's in Galatians 5, we bite and devour 
in the name of prayer. So you can pray, gossip, gossip, gossip. And I'll tell you what, it's these things that destroy our churches. And they destroy our churches, really, because we're so slow to forgive the way he forgave. I think the thing that surprised me most in becoming a Christian out of an unchurched background was that Christians, at first they seemed to be so much, um, so much nicer than the people I, I knew previously. They seemed to be that way. They fed me all the time, which was amazing. Everyone was nice, you know. And then you get really plugged into a church. You get to know people really well, and they get to know you too. And guess what happens? You find out they're actually not that different than people who aren't Christians. And you think, what's the deal, God? Aren't we supposed to be better? And we forget, listen, we're never going to be found with the righteousness of our own. We're only going to be found in the righteousness of Christ. And we're only going to be made like Christ as we suffer. And that includes in our relationships with one another. One of the things that's going to happen to every church in Norwich, it's going to happen to every church probably in this country, in, this, in, the, in the world, the Western world, is the Western world specifically, is people are going to come out of one church and go to another church. No one called me the whole time of lockdown. Oh, who did you call? That's not the point. I'm not belittling how important it is for us to call, and some of you here have been super faithful about it. I'm not going to call you out because you'll be embarrassed if I do, but I'm just really thankful for how faithful you guys have been. But there's going to be people who leave. Why? It really boils down to, I don't want to forgive. I don't want to suffer. But Paul said, listen, Paul said, I want to know Christ and to share in the sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. Good Friday is good because of the good done for us through him. And Good Friday is good news when we live like him. People need to see that. We need to see that in each other. This happens not because we beat ourselves. This, this happens. We grow in this. Not because we, we, we think, oh, we just we guilt ourselves to the point of action. No. This happens because we recognize everything I counted as gain, all the religious effort I made, rubbish, liability, loss. I am found only in Jesus. I make completely right in Jesus. When he said, forgive them, he was speaking of me. When he says, you'll be with me in paradise, he was speaking of me. When he says, I, he says, this is my family, my mothers, my brothers, he was speaking of me. I belong to him. He belongs to me. I'm right with him. I rejoice in him. And I want to suffer with him. This is part of the normal Christian life. Now, now you need to know something. You're going to suffer. 
whether you follow Jesus or not. No one in this life escapes suffering. It's going to be hard. In the U.S., they have a saying. I think it originated with soldiers. And the saying is, this is the saying, embrace the suck. And what it means is this. Life is hard. You better just live with it. You just got to walk in it. But that can be something that is just an Jesus plus stoicism. Jesus plus, I'm going to embrace the difficulty. It can be just that. But when you say, okay, I want my suffering to mean something. I want my suffering to lead somewhere. Then we look to the cross. Then we see our crucified Savior. And we know that was God saving the world. That was God so loving the world. I want to suffer with him for the same reason. Why do you stay in a difficult marriage? Because you want to suffer with Jesus. Why do you endure with wayward kids? Because you want to suffer with Jesus. Why do you take the ridicule time and time again? Why do you keep moving forward with Christ, answering direct questions, even when threatened by your boss to stop it? Because you want to suffer with Christ. We're not talking about being foolish and unreasonable. I'm looking around this room, and I'm willing to bet most of you listening to you are not unreasonable. But I'm saying, do we want to be near Jesus? Do we want to be made like the Jesus who saved us? Do we want to grow into this position of righteousness? Then we need to want to suffer. We need to be willing to suffer. Now, if you can receive this, I got great news for you. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. (laughs) Because if you can say, Lord, I want to share in your sufferings, then you'll know, and I want the power of the resurrection. Then you'll understand what God does with that power. And we're going to talk about that on Sunday. For now, I just want to encourage you guys. Embrace the suffering. Know you're doing so from a position of being right with God through Christ alone. Rejoice in that position. If you can believe that position, you can believe that he's going to use your suffering for the good of others. Amen? Father, help us to walk in this. Lord, we do believe that you sending Jesus is the best news possible. Lord, may our lives reflect that. May we not look to suffer, but be willing to suffer. May we not avoid suffering, but pursue life with you, knowing it will cost us suffering. And may you be glorified in that. Lord, we want to know you, Jesus, as we experience your sufferings. Help us with this, we pray, in Jesus' name.